Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Thanks, everybody. Once again, it is Last Stop Penn Station. I'm Ian Riccoboni, joined by our guest of honor, Carrie Silken. Happy Thanksgiving, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, we all stuffed ourselves silly as usual. <laughs> or maybe not as much this year because there was, wasn't the as many big gatherings. But uh, <clears throat> you're in Florida right now. <laughs> Technically, I am. Yeah, we are. Uh, as you're hearing this, I'm deep in the heart of the Ocala National Forest, not far from where John Travolta lives, not far from where Dory Funk Jr. lives, in the uh, in the hills of Fort McCoy, which is a secluded part, isolated part of Florida. And uh, we've pretty much been in isolation for a, for a bit. We drove down and we're spending Thanksgiving, hopefully, as all goes well, uh, currently with, with my parents at their place in uh, the middle of the swamp. Well, my Thanksgiving was very quiet, including my good friend AJ coming over here in the evening and uh, hanging out and uh, watching some TV. You know, it's good when AJ comes because otherwise I'd just be watching football. Yeah. So I'll I'll uh, divert from football to, uh, you know, watch something we're mutually uh mutually can enjoy maybe you watch a great thanksgiving movie like planes trains and automobiles yes yes that is on my <laughs> list after your recommendation of it hadn't seen it ever never i've never seen it there's a lot of movies i've never seen yeah. um but uh i'm gonna uh make a point to watch that i've been listening to a lot of books on tape like oh. we mentioned uh a few episodes ago and uh, our producer aj also listened to this Rolling Stones, the Altamont, mm-hmm. uh, and then this author Joel Selvin Selvin did another one about the Brill Building and about okay. these great uh, songwriters of the fifties and sixties: the Stoller and Liebers, the Carol Kings, the Neil Diamonds, yeah. and uh, I, I've moved on to. Uh, it's too bad you weren't. See, as a huge baseball fan, you would like this. Have you ever heard of the, I'm I'm revisiting this after like a 40 year layoff. Have you ever heard of the first tell all baseball book called Ball 4 by Jim Bowden? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, so I'm currently involved with that um and it's really interesting if you're interested in baseball. He start the book, you know, he had a tremendous uh he was like rookie of the year I think in 62. Yeah, I think and, in maybe 60. Sixty, they're right around then. And he was he won two games in the World Series for the Yankees, mm-hmm. and uh, he was great. But by 1969, it's with the Pilots, exactly. Yeah. And he was he, he was learning to throw the knuckleball. Yeah. And uh, the names on the Seattle Pilots: uh, Tommy Davis, 
Yeah. And just odd, you know, just just oddball names. But as a baseball card guy, mm-hmm. you would know it because you would know these names. Right. None of which I could just say off the top of my head at the moment well what's funny about the baseball cards you would have the top sets in 69 which they either didn't show logos or airbrushed and then you had the kellogg set in 70 uh which had a couple the only pilot they had i think was jim bowden well i was looking at the 69 cards Mm because because of reading this and there were two expansion teams right it the was pilots. Yeah. And the Royals. The Royals. Yeah. So when you look at the baseball cards, they have the I guess they have the they're all wearing black baseball caps. Oh, that's no right. logos. Yeah. Or else no caps. Right. So because they weren't sure who they were gonna put out. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, so uh, ball four is interesting because Bouton tells stories um some off color he got in big trouble because uh, he's including stories about Mickey Mantle le- leading. They had a thing called beaver hunting. <laughs> is, is this what I think it is? Yes. Oh, okay. Which ranged from certain stadiums where you could look under the like. Oh, holy you could look moly. under the stands. Uh, that was like your basic rudimentary beaver hunting. Oh and some guys would go on the road and bring like a set of drills, not making glory holes, but peep holes. Oh, and they geez. didn't know who was next door to them. Could have been some big heavy businessman or maybe it was an airline stewardess. Mm. And maybe she had some company. But there was a hotel in Washington, D.C., where all the team, well, the American League teams stayed. This mm-hmm. is back with the Washington Senators right. called the Shoreham. And the Shoreham was about, oh, let's just say it was a six-floor hotel. But the strange thing was it had wings. So picture like two L's. Okay. But it's not, so like the L's were, so basically if you were on the roof, you could look into the fifth and sixth floor. Ooh. And Mickey Mantle himself, this is when Bouton was on the Yankees. All the team, most of the teams did this. But in, in Bouton's career, you know, these guys, they were drinking heavy. And Mantle would lead the Yankees up. And what they would do is they would spread around. There's Yogi Berra. There's Whitey Ford. There's Moose Scourin. There's Elston Howard. Roger Maris. And they distribute themselves around the four sides. Oh, geez. Uh, Once again, it wasn't a dead square. So you'd have to be on. And they'd be like, you know, they uh, they had a designated like, you know, one o'clock, you know, just like military. At seven o'clock. South side, you know, they got a clear view of some some woman undressing or oh, people messing around and guys would be running around. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy stuff. And he tells all kinds of wild stories, you know, uh, and as, an, as a Yankee fan, you know, of course, with Mantle's drinking yeah. and uh, other um, – when he was with the pilots, he talks about going – to uh, they were in San Francisco. Is Berkeley College near San Francisco? Ah, uh, yes. Or is that LA? AJ is confirming. I think it's San Francisco. Yeah, I think it. Yeah. Yeah, and 
I think it was him and uh, Tommy Davis, who was a great black, he was a great black player. Yeah, right? and one of their, I think their only all-star ever. So yeah, the Dodger, he was a Dodger. I, I believe, believe he was a Dodger, and I think he's the only player to appear in an all-star game as a pilot. Okay. Ever. But uh, they went to this, uh, just, they, Bouton was a sort of an intellectual, and mm-hmm. they wanted to go to one of these student rallies. And they went there, and Bouton says in the book, that uh, these kids must have thought we were narcs because <laughs> we're dressed just, you know, just casually. But, you know, uh, on the road as baseball players, they're not going to be sloppy. So they have a pair of slacks. You know, they look like undercover detectives. You know? <laughs> but uh, they just wanted to see what was going on. So the Ball Four book is uh, is really good. It's uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to take up my time instead of staring at the news all the time. Mm. But uh, one of my favorite, the Seattle Pilots are one of my favorite conspiracy theories of all time. What's that? That they were built to fail so that Bud Selig could bring the team to Milwaukee to prove a point. Interesting. Yeah, that they were intentionally designed to fail with a bad stadium, with bad television, bad radio. They only lasted, what? Just just 69, yeah. And then they were moved to Milwaukee where Bud Selig took control of the team and later became the commissioner. Uh, one last baseball note and Jim Bouton. There's a Netflix documentary, The Bad Boy, The, the Bad Boys of Baseball, about mm. a por- Portland, Oregon had lost their. I hope I have the title right, but uh, Portland, Oregon had lost their Triple A team. Oh, they had no team in Portland, Oregon, huge city. And there was an entrepreneurial guy who put together a Like an an independent class A had no affiliation with any teams. Yeah. And Boughton made a comeback in 75. Really? And they wound up outdrawing the AAA Portland team because it turned out through happenstance, they just assembled a bunch of misfits who uh, played good. And it's a really good documentary if you like if you like baseball. Wow. It's on Netflix. Check that out. The bad team of baseball, the bad boys of baseball, you'll find it. Was that the one with Kurt Russell? There, nope. There's one where Kurt Russell, it talks about Kurt Russell playing. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It is. Okay. It I is. Think, yeah, yep. that's great. I've seen, I saw that a, a bit ago, but it's yes. wonderful. Yeah. I, I miss baseball. It should come back. I know. <laughs> it should, even though we just had it. <laughs> Congratulations to the I Dodgers. Miss, I miss everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I miss that's coming up, Ring of Honor. We have another great episode of TV. Uh, LSG looked real sharp against Jay Lethal. But uh, Jay picked up the win. And uh, EC3 and Jay Briscoe, they're just going to be at each other. And I, I think, uh, I don't think we've seen the last one. I'd like to see that match at final battle, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would like to see it. And, uh, Unfortunately, I'll be uh, I will be seeing it. I'll be uh, watching. You know, we're having a pay-per-view. Yeah. So uh, the tradition continues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm 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 proud of Ring of Honor uh, to uh, keep this tradition alive. And uh, what's the date? December 18th. The 18th. And we uh, just got the safety protocols even a little more strict. Than, than last time in terms of how many tests we're getting. So Ring of Honor, with the cases rising, is actually increasing the scrutiny of testing, which I appreciate. That's a good thing. So that's uh, yeah, something to look forward to. And uh, speaking of wrestling. We got some good feedback about Mick Foley. Got great feedback and a lot of people looking for episode number two. So very excited 
to talk about Mick Foley in Ring of Honor. On episode one, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. Uh, Carrie, you were a fan of Mick Foley dating back to Herb Abrams' UWF and then seeing him live in the ECW arena. And from there, just a quick quick recap, uh, the previous ownership of Ring of Honor said, well, Mick Foley's doing a book signing close to our home base. Why don't you go talk to him? You talk to him, he said, thanks, but no thanks. The uh, videotape salesman that used to own the company was kind of ripping him off and ripping everybody off, not paying royalties on, on tapes he was selling. But you assume full control of the company, you do a shoot interview, you slip him a Jethro Tull Christmas CD gift, which I was thinking between episodes, that's the move I used to get my wife back. Oh! Yeah, it, it, real quick aside. It wasn't a Jethro Tull Christmas album. <laughs> No. Uh, was it a Bruce Springsteen Christmas album? It was the, the great Tulsa, Oklahoma band Hanson. Okay. The three brothers. Uh, we had dated in college. We had gone our separate ways. They're some fine looking young men. <laughs> they are. They are. And uh, we had gone our separate ways, seen different people, got out of college, got out of grad school. Um, I looked her up on Facebook. And uh, sent her a message, waited a few days. She said, wow, that'd be great. I'd love to see you again, but I'm in Brazil. And I said, uh, what are you doing in Brazil? And she was. Don't tell me she was at Gino's Casino. (laughs) People are going to know, what the hell are they talking about? Oh, the multi-million dollar lawsuit winner. (laughs) But uh, yeah, she was in Brazil teaching English. English is a second language. She was some friends she met in grad school. Uh, She says, but I'll be back June 22nd. So on June 23rd, we had a date. Uh, we saw Toy Story 3. At the end of the date, I slipped her Hanson's new album that came out the day before because I knew she thinks she liked more than anything was Hanson. That was 10 years ago. We've been married now for eight. <laughs> so, Well, listeners, take this, this lesson, whether it's Mick Foley uh, wanting to dip, do business with him, whether it's trying to marry a true a, a true love of your life yeah or trying to reunite with the true love of your life yeah music is a magic thing it is it is and and i guess just listening and caring about somebody and and you know thinking about thinking, putting them first and that's kind of what mick foley did in ring of honor he he came in and we started talking last week about uh his first appearance at the rexplex and about really putting over the company $5,000 in appearance, it's pretty steep. We couldn't afford him. I called him up. He gave uh, he gave us a very fair deal because he truly liked the product. I'd given him some dates. Some of them he turned down. But he was able to come for... Uh, uh, the Rexplex was 9-11-2004. You know, it seems like a lifetime ago, but yet it seems like yesterday when we're talking about it. But he came to Dayton and the following day to Chicago Ridge mm-hmm. and Ricky Steamboat was with us. And uh, Ian's going to give you a little detail. But uh, by the way, the uh, 16th was Joe Punk 2. Wow. In Chicago. Wow. OK. But uh, why don't you brief without boring everyone. <laughs> give, him a, give him a brief recap of uh, Dayton where Gabe and I were agog. We had Steamboat and Foley in our dressing room. In the very same building that Bobby Cruz pooped his pants. <laughs> we have uh, Mick Foley coming out and uh, really admiring Dan Moff and BJ Whitmer and their hardcore match with uh, the Carnage crew. And then from there, um, Ricky Steamboat comes out and says, you know what? I like technical wrestling, traditional wrestling, scientific wrestling a little more. And uh, 
they talk about some of the some of the other wrestlers they faced: Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Shake Roberts, Don Morocco. Uh, but then they say, you know what? Let's let's settle it tomorrow. Let's go to Chicago. I'll make a team. You'll make a team. And then from there in Chicago, we have Nigel McGuinness and Chad Collier. That's a name that hasn't come up too much, Chad Collier. Yeah, where is Chad these days? Not sure. But uh, they took on Dan Moff and our friend BJ Whitmer uh, with Mick Foley in their corner. And uh, it was Ricky Steamboat's team that picked up the win there. And uh, from there, it was Steamboat. He said, pure wrestling one, hardcore wrestling zero. So it's starting to have some fun here with these these legends. And we'd seen it with Cornette and 03. We've seen it here with, with Foley and Steamboat. We saw it with Dusty Rhodes coming mm-hmm. in uh, prior to that. Didn't Foley say something uh, uh, nasty about Ric Flair? Yeah, he called him Dick Flair. Right, because uh, in Ric Flair's book, he called Foley like a, a stuntman. Yeah, a glorified stuntman. Yeah, that's a it's, that's a shot across the bow. And really, Foley didn't really have anything bad to say about anybody. No, really. he didn't. He was he was a nice man. Um, I remember that Dayton show, and uh, besides being astounded just to have these guys there. Foley would watch the matches, you know, through the curtain. And wow. I would I'd pull the chair up and just, you know, it's like uh, marking out, sitting with him. Yeah. But uh, it was cool. And uh, we, we, you know, we, we wound up having Foley on and off for a year. We had in uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, the, the weekend of the, the weekend of thunder, it was called. Yeah. Thunder, thunder bomb or something. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because there's Jim Cornette has an expression that I like. And he says, if you're doing something big and you try and do something even bigger, it's like putting a hat on a hat. Right. And to me as a promoter looking at this, I would think Liger would just draw. Foley came there on his own. Really? At the last minute. Okay. Because he wanted to see that match, which really? I which was Liger and Joe against Brian and Low Brian Danielson and Low Key. Yeah. And but he got in it, it, am I correct that he did get involved? Yeah, he sure did. And this is where things get interesting. Um I know Ring of Honor is doing our best to have these digitized and uploaded to Honor Club. So if you're listening to this in the future, outside of 2020, they're, they're likely up and visible on Honor Club. Um, but at this point, uh, Second City Saints, CM Punk, A Steel defeated Roddy, uh, Roderick Strong and Austin Aries. And then from there, uh, Punk and Joe, who had just wrestled two all-time classics uh punk calls out joe um instead of joe to coming out mick foley comes out talks about his new book at that time rascal lane um mick says he comes to see the event as a fan and, did. and that he's there um and then a little jab at tna <laughs> mick foley calls joe soft core which is interesting <laughs> To the opposite of hardcore and uh punk doesn't leave the ring because he's just kind of flabbergasted at this he's waiting for joe to come out joe comes out accepts punk challenge for round three and uh yeah and then joe attacks punk with a forearm and off we go so that's incredible thinking back that's 16 years ago and, and credit to gabe mm-hmm. he that was all called on the fly or that night Wow. Because once again, we did not know Foley was coming. I think we had a hint that he was coming. Yeah. And uh, he just sort of showed up. 
and uh, th that was a surprise. And then we brought him back for final battle uh, December 26th in Philly. I believe it was at the uh, the Armory. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one's interesting because, again, real close association with Danny Moff and, and BJ Whitmer, two of our good friends. And uh, again, there's... Uh, you know, this match just gets violent. There's thumbtacks, there's ladders, there's there's kendo sticks, everything. And uh, Mick Foley loves it, but there you go. Uh, Ricky Steamboat comes back out. And Ricky Steamboat, um, you know, they, they call a truce, essentially. Steamboat has signed on at this point to WWE in some sort of advisory capacity or maybe producer. Um <laughs> Mick Foley makes a joke about making stars out of Snitsky, Heidenreich, and Luther Reigns. Uh, Snitsky from our area, uh, and a good, nice man, likes feet, but maybe we can get into that a different day. And uh, then Mick Foley calls out Joe. Joe knocks down, knocks out Mick Foley. So, and again, just putting himself right in the, uh, in the line of fire there, right there with, with Joe. Now, do you, with something like Foley, I mean, he's obviously game for this appearance. He's obviously game to do these interviews. What's the discussion like in terms of getting physical? Or is that something that... I wasn't involved. Okay. You know, but yeah. uh, he wouldn't do a full match. Sure. But he liked being in the action. Yeah. He just liked being in the action. It's like me at the casino. I'm not going to take the money out, but I'll, I'll stand with you at the craps table. <laughs> He's like we're in Vegas. We're in <laughs> we're, don't worry, Sarah. It's just very little. I got, I got to keep a chain on the boy. Yeah, and um, we we had uh, uh, Mick come back on in January of 2005. We were in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. So this one, and and just some fun names here. I mean, there's you know this is certainly an era of Ring of Honor that that really hits me this is when i was getting the dvds and it, actually the vhs's they were a little cheaper so i'd buy the vhs i think we uh, we were getting this is around the time we were completely uh, dvds yes yeah uh some fun names here uh jay lethal obviously here josh daniels uh, one of the early stalwarts i believe he was a substitute in the pure tournament i think that was his big claim to fame <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, that's a name that doesn't show up much. Uh, Alex Law, Ricky Landell. Ricky Landell was a Steve Carino student. Um, so Steve probably had a hand in getting him a shot. Uh, the opening match, Spanky versus Alex Shelley. What a great opening bout. Incredible. That one is on Honor Club. I've seen that one, so you can go and watch that one. Uh, and just a couple more names here. Eric Starsmore uh, and Shane Hagedorn. That might have been Shane's first appearance. It might have been. We have to see. Uh, listed as a student of CM Punk at that point, which would make sense because he was Punk was Punk the original was running the school. Yeah, and uh, there you go. But on the same event in Cambridge, uh, ROH title match: Austin Aries versus Colt Cabana, one of Aries' first title defenses, if not the first. And uh, I remember that being a great match. But there was a confrontation between Mick Foley and Samoa Joe following the main event. And it was essentially Mick Foley saying there'd be a mystery opponent for Samoa Joe. So at this time, this is right when message boards are a thing. And the Ring of Honor one had a famously 
toxic message board with allegedly Gabe posting under pseudonyms and Gabe posting as himself. There were some terrible message boards. There was that DOI one. Oh, DVDR? No. Death Valley Driver? Well, there was that one, but that was tame compared to this one uh, uh, Declaration of Independence. Oh. That was that was toxic. It was yeah. a horrible thing. It was a horrible thing. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, Massachusetts, uh, the next appearance by Foley, it was our last Rexplex event. Really? Which was February 19th. And that's when... The challenge of Foley and who did he bring out for Samoa Joe to wrestle? <laughs> well, first he threatened us with all with a good time and said Test was coming, okay. <laughs> the WWE wrestler. Um, you know, Test obviously does not does not come, does not make a uh, Ring of Honor appearance, but brings out Vordell Walker, who. I, I don't want to say he's a running joke in Ring of Honor, but he was a guy that a lot of people thought of a lot he's a of Florida guy, Florida guy, FIP, FIP guy. Yes. Uh, over the years, he's kind of been the the guy where there's a certain era of Ring of Honor where FIP's titles defended, and he's the kind of he's the kind he of wasn't good. able to cut it in Ring yeah. of Honor. Sorry, Wardell. Yeah, it didn't quite cut the mustard. Um, quick match, Samoa Joe beats him. Uh, Easy, easy. And uh, Mick Foley says, you know what? I got a backup plan. When I looked this up today, <laughs> I had absolutely no memory of this at all. You talk about a guy who loves Vegas. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is Mr. Vegas himself. And what was the name that he brought out? <laughs> he, an- he announced him as Asbestos Jack. And it was our good friend, Kikitaro. Kikitaro, who at that time was known as Ebison. Uh, but Kikitaro, who has been made many Ring of Honor appearances over the years, one of the great comedy wrestlers of all time. And one of the great slot players yeah. of all time. <laughs> There's two men that I've seen, three, but I won't give the third one for an anonymity because he's currently in Ring of Honor. But two men that I've just seen sit at a slot machine and just be laser focused. One is Minoru Suzuki who is scary when he's focused at squat machine. If you think he's scary in the ring, don't talk to him when he's doing slots. The other other is the great Kikitaro. Now, Kikitaro, when we would go to Vegas... uh, (laughs) To this day. Right, the last... Back when... Going back a few years... uh, Nick, Nick from the Bucks... Yeah. Was, uh, lo- lo- loves playing slots. A nice, safe. I mean, yeah, we're not talking big money. Right, we're right. talking hang out with everybody. With uh, Mr. Buck, we hang out with him. Yes, and yeah. so it was Nick, myself, uh, Lethal might have been there. Yeah. Um, there was like four or five guys, including Kikitaro. Right. So we all put in like a hundred bucks onto one slot machine. Mm-hmm. So we had a nice little stake. Yeah. So we're able to play like you know, uh, uh, if the whatever the high pull was, like you know, it was like uh, ten dollars. You know, mm-hmm. we're really gun for a hit, and. We would take turns hitting the button as if anyone would particularly have a. But Kikitaro, oh, AJ, you got to see this guy. He was short. Uh, five foot two. Right. Maybe. Stout. And when it was his turn, when he'd hit the button, he would give the traditional Japanese 
The, the blessing. Uh, the, the blessing. Yeah. And when it would come up with your shit, you know, like, God damn it! <laughs> but yeah, so he so he was the uh, bonus mystery he, opponent. He was. <laughs> How do you have a bonus mystery? <laughs> right, he was. <laughs> he was. Yeah, you're not lying. Uh, I... <laughs> oh my god! There was yeah. only there was only a few more appearances by what Mick. Kikatara's uh, slot of choice, by the way. Well, Anything. <laughs> he was. I got to give him credit. There was a night where I had an opportunity to get. He on loves him. a good cigarette. He too. does. <laughs> I had a chance to get on an earlier flight. I was going to leave at eight. I checked. Oh, he my, gave us a ride. He gave us a ride. He was very nice. Very nice man. And uh, we have a lot of fun with him. I, yeah, I'll never forget him. You know, <laughs> just, and he's like the mayor. He's the mayor of Samstown. Oh, what good, a legend. Good guy. Well, there was a, a little gap. And then July 8th, Foley came back to Long Island. Um, he only had three more appearances. July 8th of 05, August 20th in Morristown, New Jersey, and September 17th. Uh, if you want to give us a brief recap. Yeah. So in Long Island, uh, some fun stuff here. Um CM Punk had won the Ring of Honor World Championship. We've, we've talked briefly about it. We haven't hit very hard on it, but unexpectedly, his contract's up. I assume that's going to be a huge episode yes. for us at some point to talk about that. Um, but he's the champ. He's essentially announced I've signed. he's going to sign the WWE contract on the belt, and uh, he's defending it still. Well, yeah, they gave him like an eight-week grace period, which I don't think they would do anymore. No, that's very uncommon. And uh, so... Samoa Joe, James Gibson come out. Um, Mick Foley makes an announcement, says he's been personally handed a message from Vince McMahon that CM Punk will defend the championship. Now, quick question here. Um, kind of how much is bullshit? How much is real? Was there any talk about, hey, you know, make sure this guy works a light schedule, make sure he make sure he's safe, anything like that? Um, I knew Punk pretty well. Mm -hmm. Uh they just told him, you, you know, there's another word, just like you got to report to duty on uh, September 10th. Okay. Or whatever it is. It wasn't, wasn't, uh, I'm sure once again, in this day and age, we're talking 15 years later, they would be worried more about, you know, an injury. Not that they weren't then, but sure. it would, they wouldn't have allowed it. Well, there's a famous story that I'm aware of, and I think the Bucks have told us publicly about them getting a call. Regarding the Hardys, because if you remember the famous ladder match they had, Supercard, big time ladder match, violent, uh, dangerous. They allegedly get a call. I think it was a Triple H or Vince McMahon saying, "Hey, you know what? Just have a great match, but please be careful. <laughs> please, we got something in mind for them tomorrow. Just please be careful." And then they go on and win the WWE titles the next night. So it's always interesting when those things happen. Yes, and uh, what Foley was saying about being in contact with Vince McMahon, <laughs> I think that was uh, just a little, little fun, little showmanship. Fun nice, his. <laughs> I like that. And then uh, we go to Morristown on the twentieth uh, of August. A, a real quick side note about Morristown: in Morristown, New Jersey, my cousin Mike G, who is often at, you can see him at the Bell. Okay, he's at the Bell during the Samoa Joe. Um, uh, Kabashi match. Right. He's at. He was at the Bell uh, 
a majority of the East Coast mashes. And uh, he's in the back, and Foley already now is on like his fourth or fifth book. Mm. And he knew Mike because he knew Mike's name from uh, the Aquarian. Mm-hmm. And Mike was having the, they were in a heavy conversation for like 45 minutes. And Mike's like, you know, I, I haven't written a book. I, and Foley's like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. He goes, ah, oh, you know, he goes, look, he was, so Foley was explaining his formula just to sit down every day, whether you like it or not, and write for an hour, write for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And finally, Mike did that with his Woodstock book yeah. and he's doing it now with last stop Penn station. Wow. But, uh, it was, it was a cool conversation. So we had him in, well, what happened in August, on August 20th? Yeah. This, uh, well, I moved into NYU around oh. the state. Yeah. So that was fun. And, uh, <laughs> but also, uh, let's see tag match generation next versus the embassy. And, uh, so this was, uh, generation next, um, essentially, at this point, McFoley um, d- tells Jade Chung, the great Jade Chung, she can leave the embassy if she wants. Uh, Alex Shelley attacks McFoley. Alex Shelley at this time with uh, the embassy by now. And uh, Aries and Roddy def- um, fight off the embassy, save McFoley from an assault. And McFoley DDTs Prince Nana on the new book Scooter. <laughs> great product placement. <laughs> I don't think he had all... Uh, um, New York Times bestseller. Right. He had a few. The, he had quite a few yeah, number even, ones. Even Springsteen had Lucky Town. Right. You know, and you know, he, you miss even the greats miss. But he some, tried. He tried. Right. <laughs> and then finally, uh, Gloria Bonner, Lake Grove, New York. Um, just to give you an idea of some of this opening match is a fight without honor. Loki versus Jay Lethal. Uh, Nigel versus Roderick Strong for the pure title. Uh, Colt versus uh, Colt versus Homicide and their huge feud. Um, I don't remember Davy Andrews versus Eric Matlock. I don't know who they are. That's interesting. I love these guys who just kind of <laughs> pop up and then disappear. Uh, but eventually, uh, on the same show, Brian Danielson wins the world title. Not the main event, though, because the main event was AJ Styles with Mick Foley versus Jimmy Rave and Prince Nana. And uh, that's the one, Kerry. You, you called him right before we recorded. I spoke to Nana to make sure my memory wasn't playing tricks on me. And Foley, we didn't ask him to do it. But at the end of the match, he did the famous... Uh, elbow coming off the ring onto Nana. Nana said he was light as a feather. Wow. And Foley took this bump. I mean, you know, Foley, I remember I was at, I was at the table and it was around the corner, but, you know, you could just hear Foley's body. He just did it because uh, he just wanted to do it, you know, and uh, that is so his ring of honor time was one year almost exactly. Wow. September of September 2004 through September 2005. But um, following that, I kept in touch with him. Uh, He knew that I was in the ticket business and he had called me a couple times. Uh, I can't recall what she, maybe it were tickets for his kids, Mm -hmm. you know, One Direction or or something um, that his kids were into Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd uh, try to hook him up. Um, 
he wasn't a big spender. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> well, no, he talks about that in his book. He would, he, him and, you know, whomever on the road would cram into a cheaper hotel. You're brought up that way mm-hmm. early on as a wrestler. You know, you're, you're trying to save money. You're staying in the cheapest hotels. You're sharing rides with the most people. There's a great line in his, in his I think it's in his first book, when the Abdullah the Butcher is in his car and, and Foley's. It was his wife or wife-to-be who was in there and some other wrestlers. And Abdullah Butcher said, I held in a fart for 200 miles just to be polite. (laughs) It was in the car. But I kept in touch with Foley uh, slightly. um, And uh, we went, uh, shared our love of Jethro Tull. Tull was playing, of all places, the Hammerstein. Wow. And the night, it was 2007, and the night before that, it was a Sunday, Ring of Honor was in Chicago. Okay. And it was snowing like a bitch. Mm. And at the time, they had the flight going to ABE. Allentown. Okay, yes, direct yeah. from O'Hare to Allentown. Which, I, which came back, which is fun. Well, I <laughs> hope we can use it again right. soon or one day. But um, I was on the first flight. I used to stay at the O'Hare. You know, there's that O'Hare Hilton. Yes. So I would stay there. Mm-hmm. And um, I was nervous that, oh, this plane's not going to go. It's snowing. But it did. And uh, came back to town. It was myself... Sid, one of Sid's friends, my buddy Joe, who works with me, who's worked with me all these years, who was just here a couple weeks ago for my birthday, and uh, one of my dearest friends, uh, we went to this uh, Hammerstein show, and there was a really good steakhouse around the corner on Ninth Avenue. Um, not not an not an Emeralds, not a uh, um, Ruth Chris. It was a uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a top quality place. So we all got down on some really good food. We went to the show, a good old tall show, had a good time. And um, I kept in touch with Mick. And a year later, um, it was 2000 and two years later, 2009, he calls me up. This was a hot ticket. Um, they were doing the 25th anniversary of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame huh. at Madison Square Garden. Okay. And it was a two-night event. That was right when they opened the Annex in New York. Okay. Was, they opened it downtown in Soho. Okay. Yeah. Well, they were going to have two nights at the Garden. And he asked me, and I, I had, we had done really, you know, I was able to get tickets and it was an expensive ticket, and we didn't have good seats. We were sitting, you know, like in the old greens at the, oh, at the yeah. garden, like <laughs> not not the top level, but next to the top level. But we were sort of near the stage, not behind it. It was a beautiful view, mm-hmm. and Foley wanted to bring his friend, and my friend and my uh, roommate for a number of years, uh, we refer to him as Young Dan. He went and. Uh, I had forgotten how amazing this show was. And uh, I have to uh, just give you a quick recap. Of the, talk about one of the greatest. And this was only night one. 
Okay. Now, the second night was U2 and the Stones and <laughs> some other names that are incredible that I just, maybe Lady Gaga, I forget, or Madonna. <laughs> okay. But on night one, they opened the show with Jerry Lee Lewis <laughs> doing a whole lot of shaking going on. All right. One song, bang. Oh, and I remember where our seats were. Like once again, we weren't on this we were on this near the side, but not but in front. And all they had to do, there was a rotating stage that it was so like in other words, it wrote except it is a little of a, a, a better production. So when the stage <laughs> rotated, the next band set was ready. Oh, okay. So the next act after so there was no dead time. Nice. After Jerry Lee Lewis. Who comes out but Crosby, Stills, and Nash? Not young, mm. but Crosby, Stills, and Nash come out. They open up with Woodstock. Okay. They do Marrakesh Express. Okay. And the next thing, I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, have you ever seen them live? No. Well, AJ, have you seen them live? CSN? Yeah. Well, David Crosby... You know, it's like the Eagles when Joe Walsh does "Life's Been Good to Me So Far." Gotcha. It's like a showstopper. Yeah. Uh, well, David Crosby, when he does "Almost Cut My Hair," ah, you know, yeah. and I feel like I owe it, right? Mm -hmm. And there's that last crescendo, vocal crescendo, and he holds that last note, pausing a huge standing. I remember looking over at full everyone stood up and uh that was like the first showstopper and uh they stayed on stage and it was crosby and nash they bring out bonnie Raitt. wow she does a song love has no pride they go into uh Midnight Rider by the Allman Brothers. Okay. Then they bring out Jackson Brown with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and he does The Pretender. Wow. Okay. It, one song. Yeah. And then, oh, whoever was, I think, I think Graham Nash was, was like sort of the front man. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's bring out another friend of ours. And he brings out James Taylor. <laughs> and they, they, do the, they do Mexico. Uh, nice. Right? So then... Rate Brown Taylor do stay on come back together with Crosby Stills and Nash, and they do teach your children. Nice, and that's the end of that set. And the stage spins, and it's Paul Simon. Wow, and his big you know he he had that um oh come on help me here what was the uh, the album with diamonds on the soles of her shoe oh uh, Graceland Graceland yeah. thank you well that was the opening and he jumps back to the classics me and Julio down by the schoolyard and you can call me out yeah <laughs> right and then they bring out Dion run around Sue Dion yes and, okay. and he does the wanderer ah nice one song then they bring out Crosby and Nash to do with Paul Simon to do the Beatles. Here comes the sun. Nice. Right. Then then they leave Paul Simon and his band do late in the evening. And then they bring out little Anthony and the Imperials, <laughs> two people in the world. And if that's not enough, Paul Simon says, I want to bring out a real old friend. And Garfunkel comes out. Oh, no way. 
And they did Sounds of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, uh, Not Fade Away by Buddy Holly, The Boxer, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and Cecilia. Nice. And that's the end of their set. Now, it's already like 1030, right? <laughs> we still have uh, Stevie Wonder and Bruce. Oh, no way. And the stage spins, and there's Stevie Wonder, and by himself at the piano. And what does he do as an opener? Solo? Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, you never would think that, yeah. right? So after that, uh, his his band appears. They do uptight. Everything's all <laughs> right. I was made to love her for once in my life. Wow. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Boogie on, reggae woman. And then Stevie Wonder says, I got a friend also. He brings out Smokey Robinson. <laughs> they do Tracks of My Tears. Wow. And he says... I have another friend, John Legend. Would you come out, please? And they do Mercy, Mercy Me. Yeah. Marvin Gaye. Right. And uh, the way you make me feel. And then if that's not enough, Stevie Wonder says, here's a man that I learned a lot from. I'm like, who the hell? It's B.B. King. (laughs) They do The Thrill is Gone. B.B. King stays on stage and they do Living for the City. Wow. And then if that's not enough, let's bring it. Let's bring another friend out. And it's Sting. No way. They do Higher Ground. Okay. Into Roxanne. Okay. (laughs) And then you wouldn't associate this rock and roller, but Stevie Wonder, he knew his stuff and he brings out Jeff Beck. Wow. And they do superstition. Okay. And uh, shall I continue? Yeah. That was do. that was the end of that set. And then we got Bruce. He's... And then comes Bruce. Okay. <laughs> and I remember my car was parked at Port Authority where they had a 1 a.m. You had to get the car out of there by kind of oh, thing. Oh, wow. So f- fortunately, it was, it, it, I didn't stay for the whole set. I couldn't. But here's what it was. I saw most of it. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band come out, 2008 style. They open up with 10th Avenue Freeze Out. They bring out Sam from Sam and Dave, okay. Sam Moore. Yeah. And they do Hold On, I'm Coming. Bruce, Bruce's favorite, yeah. Into Soul Man. Okay. <laughs> then they bring out Tom Morella. Nice. Who would end up playing with the E Street Band? Right. Yeah, Rage Against the Machine. And they do that. I love this. That rockin' version of the, the heavy version of the Ghost of Tom Joad. Yeah, yeah. They did that. And then Bruce is like, here's someone I've always admired. I'm like, Who <laughs> who's left? <laughs> John Fogarty. Oh, okay. John Fogarty yeah. comes out. Uh, they do Fortunate Son, Proud Mary. And they do Pretty Woman, the Roy Orbison song. And then he leaves and they do Jungle Land. Wow. Then, do you know this name? Darlene Love? Sure do. Well, Darlene Love comes out. Uh, I think she was in The Crystals. And they yeah. do a Ron Ron. Right. And Tom Morella comes back for London Calling by nice. the class. This is all with Bruce in the E Street. Yeah. Then they do Badlands. Nice. And Bruce Springsteen says... This can't be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in New York without this man. And Billy Joel comes out. No way. (laughs) And they do You May Be Right. 
Only the Good Die Young, New York State of Mind, and Darlene Love, John Fogarty, Tom Morella, Billy Joel, Jackson Brown, Sam of Sam and Dave, and Peter Wolf from Jay Giles, who we saw open up for The Who when AJ and I went, did, uh, I, I'm sorry, Bruce did Born to Run, wow. and then they brought out the aforementioned crew and the grand finale was Jackie Wilson's great hit. Your love keeps lifting me higher. Wow. And that was the night. And that was my night with Mick and young Dan and Foley's friend. And he was so appreciative and he loved, you know, he's a rock and roller to the core and he loved every second of it. There was a couple, you know, we were there a long time. There was a couple of people that just saw him, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know, as for, uh, I guess it was 2008, you could say it was getting into this picture the era. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. And uh, the last time I saw Mick live, this is, this will tie everything together. When we were at the day of our Madison Square Garden show, April 6th, 2019, the greatest day of our lives, except maybe when you got married. <laughs> the greatest day of my life and one of the greatest days of our lives. Yeah. Prior to going down to the garden, I know you got there real early. We did. I got there around two o'clock um, because I hadn't been to the WrestleCon and I was staying at the Hilton. Oh, so, so it's right there. I oh. got my stuff together and before I got changed, I went down to the WrestleCon. And I was bopping around and seeing Jerry Lynn, seeing uh, Dutch Mantel, seeing this one, seeing that one. And Foley's got this big line of people. And I just walk up and I just pull a chair. Like, in other words, he's signing the table and there's like 75 people. And I just walk up and I just grab a chair and I just sat next to him. And he's like, Gary, <laughs> another good Foley story real quick. Adam Cole mm-hmm. had never been to Madison Square Garden. Adam Cole, great Ring of Honor, st- became a great Ring of Honor star, and now he's WWE NXT. He's he, he's, he's he got fan- action figures, trading cards, everything in the video games. Yeah, but he'd never been to the Garden, and uh, I said, "Let's go." And it was like they, you know they do that Christmas time, the Christmas week show. Yeah. And I took him and I knew we weren't going to get backstage, but I had front row seats and Foley was there just as a a surprise attraction just to say hello. Yeah. And two things happened at that show that were really uh, it was really cool. Um, I had text Foley that, yeah, I'm coming to the show. I, I, I know I can't get to see you, but I'll be sitting there. You know, that was it. I don't know if he responded to me. And uh, he gets in the ring and uh, the crowd is cheering and he grabs the mic and he turns his, he didn't say a word yet. And he turns his head and he looks, he sees me sitting there. He goes, hey, Carrie. (laughs) 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 And then he (laughs) <laughs> then, he, then he went into and Adam Cole's like wow <laughs> now Adam Cole then the, the uh, if that wasn't cool enough the really cool thing that happened at that show and the main event was John Cena 
I forget who he wrestled, but it was John Cena, and he won. Mm -hmm. And when the match was over, there were these people sitting next to us who paid a lot of money for these tickets. There were families with, you know, there was kids. And Cena rolls, after the match, Cena rolls out of the ring on the side we're sitting on. I've never met the man in my life. Never. Yeah. Right? And... These kids are going wild. So Adam and I are just sort of sitting there, getting ready, sort of putting our coats on, getting yeah. ready to leave. And Cena uh, does it, it, sort of ignores the kids. And, and I see him walking up right at me. <laughs> and this giant hand, like it was like a lion's paw. His hand was so big. He reaches over the railing to me. Wow. And I stand up and he shakes my hand and he he pulls me in. He goes, hey, I really like what you guys are doing. Wow. And I said, well, thank you very much. (laughs) And Adam Cole was like, oh, my God. I was like, I was, oh, my God. Cole's 19 years old, 20 years old at this point. And And I, too, you know, if it was, you know. Uh, punk, right? You know, he knows me. Yeah, but uh, so that was really cool. But um, that's our Mick Foley uh, adventures. Amazing. Yeah, I met I met him once, <clears> and uh, <throat> it was uh, in Allentown. He was a very nice man. Um, a lot of feedback about the great Foley stories, things like that. Uh, big Santa enthusiast as well, as we talked about. Did you ever bring up Santa? Did he, did he come out of Santa at the event? Sometimes he does that around no, Christmas time. Okay. No, no. That must be a, a more recent thing that he's been doing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... <clears throat> when he was doing his comedy, right? he started his stand-up routine. Mm-hmm. I get a phone call one day. This is probably 2011-ish. Sure. And he had a gig like in Jersey Shore, like Long Beach. Oh. And he calls me up mm-hmm. and he says, Carrie, um, what are you doing tonight? I go, oh, I don't know, man. Not, no, no plans really. He goes, do you think you could get a bunch of friends and come down to this club? So he was playing at this club and he would found out they'd only sold like, you know, 40 tickets. Oh. And because uh, he was he was sold out in Philly at the Helium. I mean, yeah, he, he drew well to, in the right places. Yeah, uh, I wasn't able to get down there, but he and l- later in speaking to him, he told me like wrestling is much easier than doing these stand ups. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's tough, but uh, he, he got a formula together. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I I went to see him. Uh, oh God, what's the there's a com- famous comedy club on Broadway and 50th. Oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, damn it. it. Might be called the comedy, the comedy, comedy store. store. Yeah. Yeah. He was there mm-hmm. and uh, he left me some comps and it was full. It's yeah. New York City. Yeah. And uh, he's a good man. I hope he listens to this. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to send him a message. You know, I hope he heard our first episode. And mm-hmm. if not, I'll make sure that he... He gets this. And I, I want to thank Mick Foley for his friendship and his contributions to Ring of Honor. Yeah, really one of the unsung. He's a guy that I think for some outside fans or fans that were on the fence really solidified that, hey, you could really see anybody here. And it was also in a time when we really needed uh, <clears throat> a rub mm-hmm. from 
people like Foley steamboat when we were coming out of this rough situation. Right. And it was just a few months out of that. Right. And that's the incredible part. You actually talked in my class about that situation. Maybe one day. So it's one of the more tender areas. So we'll approach that with caution. But one day we'll get there. One day we'll get to Punk signing the WWE contract on the, on the title as well. And those, those will be fun. But Mick Foley really giving the, the stamp of credibility to those early Ring of Honor events. Yes, and a, a fine man. Well, it's been great to pay tribute and uh, homage to, to Mick Foley on this blessed Black Friday where <laughs> we hope you're doing your, your shopping from the safety of your computer. And we hope you're, uh, if you do venture out, that you're wearing a mask. You don't wait in too long of a line. And please drive safe back from Florida. Yes, I, we will We will do that. I'll be listening to this on the way back as my children are asleep and, and my wife is this asleep. This is a nice clean one. Right, right. Yeah, we can, uh, no show world. Or uh, no, I want to thank our producer, AJ, Basan Creative once again, and Eric, Discover Pro Wrestling, and all of our listeners. Give us some feedback. Give us some ratings. Yeah. Get a T-shirt for Christmas, damn it. <laughs> uh, and uh, be sure to tune in to Ring of Honor. Uh, watch alongs again, 7 p.m. Monday nights. Every Monday night. And uh, the, the I, I heard the news, Ring of Honor, saying there's going to be names that you know, names that you don't know, names that will be surprises, returns. Final battle, December 18th. I can't wait to call that, Carrie. Well, it's going to be good. It's going to be it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a happening, as Mean Gene Hoekerlin used to say. So, for Carrie Lambchop, AJ, uh, everybody here at Last Stop Penn Station, happy Thanksgiving, happy Black Friday, and we'll see you next week right here on Last Stop Penn Station. Listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppennstation.com.